understood and the ones to blame. What if we could start over? We could start over. We could start over. Oh, for the lonely, for the ashamed, the misunderstood and the ones to blame. What if we could start over? We could start over. We could start over.
Welcome, church. If you're out in the lobby, please make your way in. Good morning. Good morning. Come on in. Find your seats. Welcome this morning to Trinity. We're so glad you're here. And um, as you'll notice, many of our men are still away this week, this weekend for their men's retreat. We've been praying for them. Um, but we're, we're thrilled for those men that are here that are representing this morning and uh, thankful to have you all here. Um, this morning, I'd like to start by reading uh, from Psalm 63, uh, just to kind of quiet our hearts and get us ready this morning. It says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the riches of foods, with singing, my mouth will praise you. Father, we thank you that we can come to this place together to worship you this morning. We pray that you would be pleased by the songs of our mouths, Lord God, in Jesus' name.
Only.
Let's just pray together. Father God, you will be forever ours. Thank you, Father, that we can enjoy this sweet time to worship you. And we just give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory. In Jesus' name. Friends, please take a few moments to greet one another. <laughs> This is the this is the part where we find our seats now so we can get started. Now now I understand how uh, hard it is for Keith to gather everyone back to their seats. Yes, I don't know how to whistle so I will not whistle into the microphone but find your seats and we'll get started. All right, I just want to take a few minutes to, um, to just uh, talk about church life. So if everyone can just find their seats and we'll get started. I promise not to be a culprit in the future when Keith is trying to round us up because now I get how hard this part is. <laughs> All right. So we have a couple of things coming up that I just wanted to mention uh, regarding our church life. Um, we have our outreach coming up, our missions outreach to Kensington, to the Philly area. That's going to be next Saturday, October 21st. It's going to be um, a really, um, a really special, special time. Um, there are a few spots available if you're on the fence and would like to step outside your comfort zone. This would be your opportunity. So um, make sure you get to the website, trinityallenwood.com, to sign up if you're interested in, in joining the missions outreach next Saturday. We also have a, a harvest festival coming up. Our fall harvest festival will be on October 28th. And we are, uh, it's going to be October 28th at 4 p.m. And we're looking for candy donations. So if uh, you're willing to help out with that, you can pick up some candy during the week. Uh, like two bags for the church, one bag for you, or something like that. You know, or two bags for you, one for, however you have to do it. But just uh, if you would bring some donations next week, that would be really greatly appreciated. Uh, we're also going to have a barbecue dinner, and we're asking everyone to just bring a dish to share. 
Um, we're going to be needing volunteers, so stay tuned for details. And again, that's for the Fall Harvest Festival on October 28th, 4 p.m. Today we have uh, the blessing of having Pastor Miller and Betty back to join us. And as many of you know, uh, Pastor Jim was our pastor. Keith and I, are, he was our pastor at Metuchen Baptist, First Baptist Church. And that was the church where we were before we came here. And so we're thrilled to have him here with us this morning. Uh, he is really uh, such a, a blessing and a real shepherd. Um, and so we just love when they're here. So thank you, Jim, and you join us, please. Welcome him. Thank you. Thank you so much. We enjoyed the years that uh, Keith and Claudia and their kids were in the kitchen. Uh, they were our backyard neighbors. We shared a, a backyard with them. And uh, it was just uh, always fun to have them around. The thing I always appreciated about Keith was we'd go somewhere and um, you know, we often went to this streetlight mission in Elizabeth. And the thing I always liked about Keith was he always had a question for me. He'd be driving the van and he'd throw out a question or a thought. And uh, I, I appreciated that about him very much. So I'm glad that he's uh, with your men this uh, weekend, having a, a retreat. They got rummy weather, but uh, you know, you can't help that, can you? But we're glad that uh, we have this opportunity to be with you this morning. And uh, we trust the Lord will encourage us through the reading of his word today. Let's just ask the Lord's blessing. Father, we ask you to take your word and put it in our hearts that we might know you, know you better, and respond to you in the way that you are pleased with. We pray in Jesus' name. Have you ever had someone um, say something, ask you something, or, or want you to do something that was kind of just contrary to your personality? Um, many years ago, uh, we had, uh, well, a new-to-us uh, senior citizen. She moved into our community and, and started coming to our church. And I understood where she was coming from. She, was, she didn't have a car. She was lonely and whatnot. And one day she said to me, the next time you and your wife go for a stroll in the mall, could you take me along? Well, that was a sweet thought, but uh, you see especially in those days, I was not mall guy. Taking a stroll in the mall, I'd rather stick pins in my eyes, you know. I mean, uh, <laughs> it just wasn't my thing. And so I had to say to her, I'm sorry, you, you really just, you don't know me. Sometimes people ask you things like that, right? And it just they just don't know you. They don't know that, that mm, something is not your thing to do. And of course, it's, it's more serious if it's something that's a, a conviction, a spiritually held conviction that you have or, or part of your, um, your value system. That's even more difficult. So we can kind of make the jump and apply that to God, too. Are there things that um, maybe we do that we just don't understand God and his personality? We don't understand the, what he wants or, or expects from us. Uh, my, my little old lady friend, she made some assumptions 
uh, about me. And sometimes we make assumptions about life, and, and they're not based on a good understanding of the God of grace. I hasten to add the fact that our relationship to God is not based on keeping rules. And so what I want to talk about today has to be set in the framework of, of understanding that our walk with God is, is made possible by his love and his grace for us. But somewhere along the line, if God has a, a nature and, and has characteristics and, and even personality, that's a proper word to use, then we need to be in tune with that. Otherwise, we're liable to make some wrong assumptions about life and our walk with God. And so we're saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But that still doesn't mean that we shouldn't behave and, and act in certain ways. No, our, our salvation is fixed. If we put our trust in Jesus, if you've understood that you're separated from God by sin and that Jesus is the one that enables us to come into a relationship with him, that is, that is fixed by God's promise. But still, we want to live in a, a relationship with God that is harmonious with his very nature and his character. It tells us in Scripture we can grieve the Holy Spirit by our actions, can't we? Well, when we grieve God, and we can grieve God, sometimes our attitudes are abysmal. And don't you think that grieves God? Does it invalidate our salvation? No. But it still grieves God nonetheless when we have spoken or thought or whatever in a way that's not in harmony with God's very nature. And so we really need to know him. We don't want to be in the position of not knowing God well enough. Well, what resources uh, do we have to know God. Um, I really had a lot of thoughts when I was with you the last time I spoke to you about uh, about a relationship uh, with God and basically in the God of the Trinity, who is Trinity, uh, from John chapter 14. I had some, some kind of thoughts off of that, but we would have been here a long time, so I kind of cut that short. So I'll come back to the thought today. And so I'd like to uh, focus on John chapter 14 and uh, elaborate on some of the thoughts that are there. John chapter 14, I'll just read verses uh, 8 through 10, where the, the disciples are questioning Jesus. He, he tells them that they know the way to God. And, and in John 14, uh, verse well, I'll back it up to verse 5. Thomas says to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a, a long time? Anyone who has ever seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? 
Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The works, the words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. And we examined that a little bit the last time about um, how that shows to us Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, and, and we come to know God and, and how that is foundational to our understanding of God. And so knowing Jesus is one way to know the Father. That's the way that Jesus said God had given us. Incarnating Jesus that we might see him and know him and through him see and know the Father. Now, the last time we also mentioned that the, the creation is another way that we see and know God, right? The, the heavens declare the glory of God. The psalmist says, you, you just look at the world, and you can see the, the, the evidence of God. And God goes a little further uh, in that. Uh, in, in Romans chapter 1, he tells us a very, uh, a very well, a, kind of a startling truth, but, but one that uh, we need to take into account. In chapter uh, 1 of the book of Romans, and verse 20, talking about how God reveals himself through nature. And it says, um, oh, I'll start at verse 19. It says, since once what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. The people that, that say that we just kind of evolved, that the world just kind of happened, the world just kind of popped into being, will have no excuse. God will say, look at the world I've created here, and you should have known that I existed. You should have known that this was the work of an all-powerful, all-wise God. There's many people who will stand before him one day and say, oh, but, but we didn't know. And God will say, yes, you did. I gave you evidence of my existence all through the creation. So we have creation as one resource of, of knowing God. We have Jesus, as we said, that to see Jesus, we see the Father. And we also have God's image stamped upon each of us. That when we see good in people, regardless of whether they are people who know and believe in Jesus, after all, every person is not 100% bad, right? It's because we have the image of God stamped in us. And so even people that we would, quote, call bad people can do good things when they choose to. They choose most of the time to do bad things. So we have the image of God stamped on us. If you go a little bit further in Romans, into chapter 2, uh, that is clear from, from the book of Romans as well. Romans chapter 2 and verses uh, 14 and 15. It says in Romans 2.14, Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law 
are written on their heart. Their conscience is also bearing witness and their thoughts now accusing and now even defending them. So what it tells us is that, that people who, who didn't have the benefit of receiving God's word, he says that the, that the, the Gentiles who did not have what God gave to Israel through his word, his inspired word, when they in their conscience know something's wrong, every culture knows it's wrong to kill people. Oh, there may be excuses and exceptions and rationalities and, and whatnot given for, well, it's, yeah, it's wrong to kill people, but, but we can kill these people in, in this way. You know, people sometimes rationalize that. But deep down inside, people know it's wrong to kill. Deep down inside, people have a conscience that there is right and wrong. And where does that come from? Well, it comes from the fact that <laughs> let us make man in our image. That's plural, by the way. <laughs> right? The Trinity is talking there. Let us make man in our image. Not that we're talking about heads and hands and feet, and, but the image of God means his nature and his character. And that's stamp upon all of us. And so that's kind of an, an internal witness of what God has passed on to us by, by way of his creation. We, we understand things that you inherit from your family, right? Now, if you were to see a picture of my grandpa, you would think I had gone to one of these places where you dress up in old clothes and they take your picture and, uh, and it's, you know, funny. But if you were to look at one of those pictures, my face is my grandfather's face. People have looked at that and say, you really look like your grandfather. Um, people that knew my grandfather when he was a young man had told me, oh, I remember your grandfather. He was funny. Not, I'd like to think that I inherited that from him, but humor is one of those things that is <laughs> yeah, kind of very <laughs> subjective, right? What's funny to me is not funny to somebody else. But I'd like to think that I got that from Grandpa. In my living room, I have a little picture a picture of my great-grandfather. And he's sitting there in this nice uniform, and he's got a trumpet propped on his knee. I come from a long line of trumpet players. My great-grandfather played the trumpet. My grandpa played the trumpet. My father, well, <laughs> Dad, uh, he had the talent because he was the bugler for his scout troop, but, but he wanted to play the trombone. And, of course, my grandfather said, he said, well, in our family, we play the trumpet. It'll be the trumpet or nothing. So it was nothing. Which brings up another side of Grandpa's personality. I may have gotten some things from, from Grandpa that, that I like, but, uh, you know, when I was a young man, I was going off to seminary and going to prepare to be a pastor. And, and my mother said to me one day, she said, Jim, you've got a temper just like your grandfather." And you've got to learn to control them. See, we can inherit bad things, too. The good things, they, that's, that's the image of God stamped on us, isn't it? The bad things, well, that comes from our father, the devil, right? That's of our sin nature. So we got the two kind of at war within us, the word of God said. But still, we see the fact that there are things that we 
receive from God an understanding of who God is. If you want to ask the question, is something right or wrong, you kind of think, well, what would God want me to do? And in that, we find the image of God stamped on it, that, that God's given that to us, that it's, that's, it's in there. That's what Romans chapter 2, we just read, tells us, that there's things stamped on our hearts that are ways that we can know the character of God. We also look to the law of God. Why don't we bring that up? We, we just said that we're not saved by, by works of the law. We're, we're not saved by keeping rule. And yet I'd like us to, to think about, this is the main thought of what I want to share with you today about, is the law of God, that we can know God through his law. That the law of God is a way to know the character and the nature of God. Let me read for you. In Romans 13, I've shared several verses from Romans today. And I had a wonderful opportunity this past year, uh, the school year 2022-23. Uh, uh, they needed an extra teacher at the local Christian school. And the, they had these three brilliant students who had so many... Uh, um, STEM courses and AP courses, and they couldn't fit in Bible because the only period free they had, none of the Bible teachers were available. So they kind of scraped through the bottom of the barrel and found me and had me go over to teach these guys. And one of my things was I was to give them an in-depth study of the book of Romans. And uh, it was a blessing to me. At any rate, in Romans chapter 13, and particularly verses 8 through 10, it tells us something about the law of God. It says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt of love to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be, are all are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. The law is fulfilled through love. Well, what's that tell you? It tells you something about the nature of God. That, that his quality and his characteristic of being the God of love is behind the commandments. You see, when we disregard the commandments, we're not being very loving, are we? You see, the, the, the breaking of any of the commandments behind that is, is the fact that you create victims, don't you? When you tell a lie to somebody, they become a victim to your lie. Obviously, when you kill somebody, they become a victim. When you steal from somebody, they become a victim. And so those, those laws reflect more than just the fact that it's a law. It reflects the fact that when you, when you behave in those ways, that you're not showing love to God. And the one who gave us those laws, his very nature is of love. And so he wants us to, to demonstrate love to other people. God's love is behind 
giving of his law. Now, it tells us something a little further about the law. If you turn to 2 Corinthians 3, I know I'm given, usually I take one passage and stick with it. I'm doing a little bit differently today, but, but you'll forgive me for that, I think. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and verses 6 through 11, tells us about the law and something very significant about it. 2 Corinthians 3, 6 through 11. Got to make sure I get the right verse here. It says, he has made us complete, competent, I'm sorry, as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of his glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that comes condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. What that tells us is there was glory associated with the giving of the law. And you say, well, how can that be? When you disobey, when you break the law, that's, that brings death. But the law reflected the glory of God, didn't it? And that's where the glory was found in the law of God. It reflected the nature and the character of God himself. You know, today... Um, the keeping of rules is not real popular. I've been reading some things that it's, it's not a part of the spirit of the times. This has always been true, but for some reason they think it applies especially to today. That, that people don't want to keep rules. And therefore people are rejecting Christianity because it's a religion of rules. No. If you understand what Christianity really is about, it's it's not about rules. It's about the God who is there and the God who expresses his nature and his character through those commandments that he gave to us. And that if our focus is on the giver of the, of the law rather than on the, the, the doing of the law rather than rules, you're obeying those commandments not out of just obedience to law, but out of love for the one who gave you the commandments. Why? Because they reflect his character. And so for people today who think that, oh, well, we don't want to live by, by law, and keeping rules, that's just a, a bad way to live, that's a bad way to be. No, I'm telling you that, that when we obey the law of God, it's the loving way to live so that we don't create victims. So yes, the law was glorious, but it brought death. And that's because we disobeyed it as a, as a race, as a humanity. We disobeyed the law, and that's what brought death, is, is violating the, the nature of God in the disobedience to him. The law only told us where the problem was. It's like when you go for, for medical tests, right? You've got a problem, you've got symptoms, and they, they send you for a test. All right, so you get the CAT scan, and the CAT scan shows you that you've got this problem or that problem or the other problem. 
And you say, great, the CAT scan showed me the problem. So everything's good, right? No. <laughs> Why not? Because the CAT scan doesn't solve the problem. The CAT scan doesn't cure the problem. The CAT scan just tells you what the problem is and, and, and that it's there. The law does the same thing. You see that? The law tells you that you've disobeyed God. The law tells you that you have done things contrary to the very nature and character of God. See, it takes Jesus Christ to bring the cure, doesn't it? Just like the cat skin doesn't cure you, the law doesn't cure you. The cat skin tells you what the problem is. Jesus gives you the solution, right? The solution to our sin problem. So God would not command us to do things that are contrary to his nature. Those laws exist because they come forth from his very nature. When, when God says that there's no other gods before him, what's that tell you? It tells you that God is the Almighty and that he deserves our worship and our honor and respect. And therefore he says, because he is almighty, he says to have no other gods before him. When he tells us, don't bear false witness, it's because, as we read in John 14, I am the truth, is what Jesus said. The only reason we have a command not to, to lie is because God is truth. And uh, he tells us, don't commit adultery. God in his character and nature is faithful. And so he wants to have us reflect faithfulness to other people. Why? Because that's in harmony with, with his very nature as God. So what shall we do about this? What are we going to do about it? Well, for starters, uh, we understand that the law of God is a positive statement of his nature. Begin with your understanding of it. That when God gives you a rule, it's there for a reason. I'm sure every household has reasons or, or rules, right? Why do you have rules in the household? So the kids won't make a mess or, or whatever, right? The rules are there for a reason. And God gives us his law for a reason because that's who he is. So understand that. Begin with your thinking in the matter. Secondly, as we've just said, merely knowing God's character is, does not remove our sins. But it does help us understand our identity and God's identity. We can't really remove the sin until we understand what the problem is. And third, we can't live in harmony with God until we are in harmony with his character. And that changes the whole idea of rules, doesn't it? To be in harmony with the, with the character of God. There's things that I do at home that maybe I wasn't previously inclined to do. Like, I don't know, habit, right? How I wash my toothbrush or not. Or, um, where the dirty laundry goes, or, you know, things that guys often don't care about, but things that wives do care about. 
And so I've changed some behaviors along those lines. Why? Because I need to keep these rules? Or because I'm going to be punished if I don't keep these rules? No, I changed behavior out of relationship. And we can understand that, whether we're talking about a college roommate or a parent and child or a spouse. Our behavior is shaped when we care about somebody, when we care about a relationship with somebody, we, we should and can modify our behavior. Why? Because we love that person or because we want to have a proper relationship with that person. And the same is true of God, that we really can't be in harmony with God without being in harmony with the things that he's clearly stated are his will for us, for his nature. So we need to know him better, don't we? The more we know him, the better we will understand how and why we should live and behave. And we'll do it not just out of keeping rules, but because we have a love for God and don't want to grieve him, want to be in harmony with him. Now, I'm sure there's things in all of our lives that we do that, that would displease God. And so our job is to identify them first, and then secondly, just don't review them as, as rules that God has laid down for us, but realize that behind the rule is God. His very nature is the reason that the rule exists. I guess the fourth thing is God declares in his, world, in his word that he does not change. And therefore, we shouldn't expect that God's law changes either. If when God gave the Ten Commandments, it was wrong to bear false written witness, that is still true today too, isn't it? God's word doesn't change. His law doesn't change. And we live in a, in a time of moral relativism where people say, oh, well, you, you kind of, to be authentic to yourself, you, you live what's, what, what's, what's you. And all that means is you do whatever you want to do. But the Word of God wants us to communicate to our world that God doesn't change, His nature doesn't change, and so His commandments don't change. And what our world needs to see is a group of people who name Jesus Christ as their Savior, who live according to those, those absolutes that God has given to us. And we don't find loopholes and we don't bend that because it, it suits our lifestyle better. That we adhere to them because God has spoken. And so the world is relying on Christians to give a demonstration of that. People who live by, by God's word, even, even when it well, might be inconvenient or might be against our natural inclination. The world needs to see that. Don't need to see a bunch of Christians who, who bend the rules. Right? God inscribed those rules in stone so that you could keep them or break them but not bend them. <laughs> the world needs to see people who are faithful to the Word of God. And Christianity, therefore, doesn't become a religion of rules. It becomes a relationship to, to God, a relationship that will reflect His nature and character by the way we do keep His rules, because we love Him, because we know Him, because we want to please Him. And so one day, we all stand before God,
And the thing that we will not want to hear is for the Lord to tell us, you didn't really know me, did you? Know him. Get to know him through his word, through what he's revealed of himself and his very nature, which we see in many ways, but particularly through the law of God. I hope that you know God. I hope that the desire of your heart is to know him better. Because if you do, it won't be a burden to follow his rules. You'll do it because you want to be in harmony with the person of who God is. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for all of the revelations that you've made to us of yourself. We do thank you, Lord, for the, for the blessing of knowing you and for the blessing of knowing the very character that you have displayed for us. So, Lord, we pray that we would want to know you better so that we are not at disharmony with you, that we do not grieve you. Our sin has grieved you, and you've cared for that through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus for us. I pray, Lord, for each one who's here today that they have made that commitment to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to be saved, to repent of their sins, and thank you that Jesus is the price paid for those sins, that we can live with the hope and the confidence of eternity with you because of that declaration of faith. Lord, we thank you for law shows us how to live. Thank you, Lord, for showing us the ways that will please you in life. We thank you for your goodness to us in every way. We thank you that you are the God of love, for those laws reflect love, the showing of love to other people, and that they fulfill your love. So bless us today with your word. May we take it to our hearts. May it change our behaviors. May we rejoice to know you and to know you well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for the opportunity to be with you today. Thank you for attending worship today and being here in this place. Would you all rise with me, please, that we might share a, a benediction upon you uh, today. One of my favorite benedictions of Scripture is the words of the Apostle Paul. Uh, to the elders from Ephesus when he said this, and, and I'll give this to you as, as our benediction today. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. We pray this in Jesus' name. God bless you. Go in peace. That was my pleasure.
Come and be changed. 